Well, we're talking about the, the life of Daniel. And Daniel, he's an amazing biblical hero. You remember we talked last week about how as a 15-year-old boy, he was taken off as a prisoner of war to Babylon. The people of Israel had been away from God for a long time. God had sent prophets, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, to go and say, hey, you need to come back to God. You got to get back to God or we're going to lose our freedom. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the great emperor of Babylon, swept through on his way to Egypt to conquer the known world, and he just conquered Jerusalem along the way as an afterthought, kind of, and they besieged Jerusalem, took it down, destroyed it, basically raised a lot of it to the ground, and took 25% of the population off as captives, and so that's, that's where we are. Daniel's taken off as captive, never to see his parents, Never to see his home country again, but it's an amazing rags to riches story because as he goes through his life, God keeps moving him up until when he's 85 years old, he's like second in command in the world, basically, right behind the emperor. And, and we see some tests that God brought him through, and they're the same kind of tests that will come into our lives. So I just want to go over with you over these next few weeks so we'll be ready. We'll be ready for whatever the world throws at us. King Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian king, he had taken 25% of the population, but then he said to his uh, officers, he said, I want you to pick out um, the most good-looking, smartest young men, and I want them to be personal servants in the palace, and and we're going to re-indoctrinate them. We're going to indoctrinate them in all the ways of Babylon. So they picked Daniel and three of his friends were among that group and they gave them new names. I mean, they just said, I want you to forget God, the God of Israel. I want you to worship the gods of Babylon and and I'm even going to give you a new name. Daniel, uh, he renamed Belteshazzar and that means Bel protects me. Daniel means God is my judge. Bel was one of the the great gods of Babylon that they worshipped and a false god. Hananiah was Daniel's friend and in Hebrew that means God is gracious. He was renamed Shadrach which uh, is the moon god of Babylon. Mishael was renamed Meshach which is the fertility god in Babylon. Azariah was renamed Abednego which means servant of Nemo, Nebo, which is another one of the gods of Babylon. So they got new names, new identities, and now we're going to find out they're going to get a new diet. Now, for us, it might seem a little unusual that this would be where they would say, hold it, not going to go there. But I want you to pull back all the way to this time in the Old Testament, 586 B.C. And one of the ways that God had given for the Jewish people to show that they loved him and they wanted to follow him, he had given them... Uh, a way of eating very clean. And, and that was one of the things he said, if you really want to follow hard after me, do this, he said to the Jewish people. And that was for the Jewish people. And we can see in scriptures that that's not, you know, placed on us in the New Testament. But it was real important to Daniel that he would do that because he wanted to show God that he loved him. Another thing, um, they said, we're going to give you food that the, the emperor eats. You're going to get food from the emperor's table. 
which is the richest of foods, that, but also those foods, every time part of eating them was dedicating them to some of the pantheon of gods uh, of Babylon. And so Daniel decided, he's, I can't do that. I can't worship the gods of Babylon. I can't forsake my God. And so he stands strong. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see this second test. The first test last week was what do you do in major change? And I gave you five things that God's trying to show you in major change that he wants to teach you. If you, did, if you weren't here last week, go back and grab that online and, and catch up with us. But today I want to talk to you about what do you do when you're pressured to conform? Maybe it's an authority figure or maybe it's the government, or maybe it's uh, just even society, culture itself is pushing at you to conform. You see, what, what we gotta realize is that culture, it, it, it's, it, it's not trying to inform us, it's trying to form us. In fact, if you just look at the news media today, it, it's so divided out, and it's not any, nobody, if you just pay attention, is just saying, here's what happened, Decide for yourself. They're all saying, here's what happened and here's my spin on it, right? And from whatever side you get it from. And what we're doing is we're becoming more and more and more divided as we listen to only our side all the time. And, and it's getting to be this huge divide because culture is pushing and influencing and working on us all the time. But here's what Daniel did. We're going to catch up with the story today. Pull out your sermon notes. I want you to take a few notes. I've got the verses in there for you. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, Nebuchadnezzar he's talking about, who's appointed your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. You can see the king is a real stickler. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel is standing up. It's interesting. I want you to see a life principle here in Daniel. Write this down. Many times before a blessing, there is a testing. Many, if not most times, before a blessing comes, there is a testing. The Lord tests our heart. Before blessing, there's testing. If you're going to be used by God, a lot of time he tests you first to be sure you're ready for the extra influence, the extra power he wants to give you to make sure you can handle it. So what is he testing? He's testing your character, your integrity, your humility, your generosity, loyalty, faithfulness, truthfulness, your character. And if you pass the tests of God, you get promoted. And God actually tells you things that he doesn't just tell everybody after you pass the test. Paul 
is a great example of this. We see this in the scripture because he wrote most of our New Testament and God told him things that he didn't tell the average person, that he didn't tell you and me. And, and there's a reason for that. Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. He says this, but we speak the good news because, why? God tested us and trusted us to do it. When we speak, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. You might just circle tested and trusted. God tested, then he trusted. And so the same thing happens with Daniel. Daniel goes through these various tests from the time he's 15 years old. And as he passes each one, then we see God entrusting him with more and more. In fact, Daniel is only one of two people that God shared with how the world's going to end. The apostle John in the New Testament who wrote the book of Revelation, and Daniel in his book, he shares some things about how the world is going to end. And some of it he says, I wanted to share, but God said, no, there, you can't share that right now. It's going to unfold, but you don't get to share it. And, and I'm thinking, oh man, I would have loved to see what, what that is. But Daniel predicted the rise of the Greek empire, the rise of the Roman empire. God showed him a lot of things throughout his life. Why? Because he had tested him and he trusted him and he's tested many times. So I want to see with you this morning, what do you do when you're pressured to conform? Now, Daniel was pressured by a, a, an emperor who had the power to take his head off, but we're all pressured. Maybe it's a boss that's saying, why don't you do this? And you're thinking, I don't know if that's exactly ethical or, or, or maybe it, it's just culture itself is trying to push you into a mold, a, a way of believing, a, a political correctness maybe or something that, that goes against your conscience. And so what do we do? How to pass the test. Let's write this down together. The first thing you do, just two simple things. One, make up your mind. Make up your mind. You see that in the verse, the very first verse in 8, verse 8 of chapter 1, Daniel made up his mind. Now what we're going to find is that there's some things that we have as believers that Daniel didn't have. You see, after Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to be with you, to be in you. And that's one of the things that's different for believers is that we actually have God in us. Daniel had God all around him. And so he only had one of the two things that we get to call on, and still he, he stood strong. So let's look at what he had to call on. He made up his mind. You see, you're either going to be conformed to the world or you're going to be transformed by God's word. I talk to people all the time who are saying, I, I wish I knew what... I wish I knew what God wanted me to do with my life. I can't figure that out. I don't know what God wants me to do. And most of the time when people are saying that, it's because they're, be, they're conformed to the world. They're living and acting and doing <clears throat> what everybody else is. They, they look, taste, smell like everybody else around them in the culture. And they're not being or willing to be that unique individual that God created them to be. That sometimes is going to go against culture and rub culture the wrong way. And that's hard, and that's, that's difficult. I read about a sculpture this week. It's a wax sculpture of 
the ugliest bird that you could ever imagine sitting on a fence. And um, the guy who has it in his office, he calls it a mug rump because the, the face of the bird is on one side of the fence and the rump of the bird, so the mug and the rump, you know. And the bird can't decide which side to get down on and he, he has it in his office to remind him to get off the fence. But I think a lot of us, we kind of stand on the fence, you know. You see that with politicians a lot, right? Um, you, they kind of go, which way is the wind blowing? Oh, I'm very, I have a real conviction about if it's going that way, right? And, and it's, they're, they're no statesmen anymore. They're just politicians. Politicians who blow with the wind, however culture's moving. And not statesmen who say, this is what I really believe. This is what I really think. And, and, and this is what I, I stand on. And it's always been true. In fact, back in this day, we see there were only four. They were teenagers. Teenagers, you can change the world. You can make a difference. Four teenagers who stood up against all the rest of everything that was going on. It was Daniel and his three friends. And, and they, they had made up their mind that they were going to honor God. And they were going to stick with God. Even in the midst of all this indoctrination. And so... They, they made up their mind. They, they fixed their mind. In fact, in the Hebrew, made up his mind is, if you just literally tried to translate it, it would be Daniel pulled together from inside himself. He, he, he drew from something inside of himself to make a stand. What was that? What was that he drew from? I think it's the same thing that we're to draw from, and that leads me... To the second thing, partner with God on his promise. Partner with God on his promise. You see, Daniel reached down inside of him and he had some promises from God. And he held on to those with all that he is. And, 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 it, and it changed him. Let me just read you from the New Testament this amazing set of verses that we find in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter, the disciple who walked with Jesus, was close to him, was always there, watched everything about him. God gave him some special words, and here's one of them. Starting in verse 3. Did you ever say, man, I wish I had, I wish I had everything I need for life. I wish I, had every, I wish I could just figure out what I need to, to live for God. Look at this. Peter says, everything... We could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by his divine nature. Did you know that when you stepped into this relationship with Christ, a lot of times we just kind of think of it as, okay, I was kind of going this way, but now I'm going this way. No, a whole lot of other things happened. One is God pressed into you, he put into you, Everything you're ever going to need to live life the way Jesus called it, abundant life. Everything that you'll ever need is inside of you as a believer. If you haven't stepped into this journey with Christ yet, that's not true yet. But as a believer, there's no reason to ever say, I can't win out over this. I can't do this. This addiction is bigger than me. It's not true because everything you need to be an overcomer has been deposited in you already. Put that verse back up. Let's go on. All this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name, 
and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. He says, I know you by name. The Bible says before the world was created, God already knew us. He was already there. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he did it for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? You having relationship with you. That's the only reason he went to the cross. So he could open that pathway for you to be part of the family, for you to go with God. That's what opens it up. It's not how good you can be. It's not if your good can outweigh your bad. It's not if you can help your fellow man. All of the things that American religion tries to say, if you can just do this one day in the great scales of things, I think it's gonna turn out okay. The Bible says if there's even one sin in your life, one tiny little speck of sin, you can't stand before God ever because he's perfectly holy. You would just be reduced to ashes. So what Jesus did, he came and somehow on that cross, he traded places with you. He took your punishment. And as you say, I receive that into my life. I receive what you did for me. I want to walk with you with all of my heart. I give you control of my life. Then everything changes and he deposits in you everything you're going to need for life it's through the manifestation of his goodness because you know when it says the manifestation of his goodness it that's so true why would a being who's perfect be so good as to want to allow us into his family who have rejected him and and sinned and gotten away from him and this prodigal planet why does he care because he's so good it's a manifestation of who he is It's just part of who he is. He can't help himself. He's good all the time. He's good. You say, well, I've experienced things that don't feel good. Yeah, because you live in an out-of-control planet that's far from him, that's not even close to what he wanted for us. But he's given us this free will, and we get to choose. And so we have all of these issues that are going on, but in the midst of it, his goodness keeps pouring in. And that's what he's saying. And then Peter goes on, as a result of this, he's given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price. Do you believe that? You see, if I came to you today and I say, I have one billion dollars right here. One billion, not million, billion. And if you will just give up the promises of God, I will give it to you and some of you are going like no I would never well, stop and think about it for a minute let's get real I mean you're thinking there's not really a billion dollars and so to myself I'm going to say I would never give up God's promises but you're going like a billion dollars right but the Bible says his promises are beyond all price I, I read this week that Jeff Bezos just put two billion dollars into a philanthropic fund to help with homelessness and some other things like that. And, and, and you think, wow, how generous. And then this article went on and said, before you say how generous, that would be like you putting in $1,187 because he's got so much money. That's kind of mind-boggling to imagine. Two billion equals that, right? They said if he bought a $400 million yacht, that would be like you spending $237. Well, it's hard to put that kind of money into perspective. But what God is saying is, it doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos. These promises are more. They're worth more. 
Why? Because they're forever. They're going to last billions of years, not just this short lifetime of ours. His promises are always going to be there, and they're going to make impact for this life and the life to come. And you wouldn't sacrifice the life to come, the eternal life, for any amount of money if you could see. So he's saying these promises, they're going to change you, and they're going to make you more than you could ever imagine. He's given you these magnificent promises that are beyond all price. Put it back up. So that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. Why are they priceless? Because they enable you to experience partnership with the divine nature. That word partnership in Greek of the New Testament Koinonos. It means to partake of, to be a companion with, to have fellowship with. The, the word that's, that's there that's um, nature is the word physis, which means to give birth, produce, bring forth, or to grow up. So here's what this is saying. He says what we do as believers. Daniel didn't have this deposited down inside of him. You see, I, I, I read in the Bible all the time that we're adopted by God when we step into this. It talks about his adoption as sons and daughters. And I've always thought of that like I'm God's adopted son. That is so cool. I'm God's adopted son. But there's so much more than that that the Bible is teaching. You see, the adoption part, that was just the legal part in the spirit realm. So that we can be his heir. I'm adopting you officially so that you everything that I have is yours when we get that's why it's beyond all price we get to eternity everything that God has is ours all that God has is ours and and, and because we're adopted it's a legal term but it also says Jesus talked about that we're born again what does that mean it's right here in this it's God's nature God's DNA when you step into this relationship with Christ, somehow, I don't understand it, but God's DNA spiritually fuses with your spiritual DNA. And it creates a whole new creation. That's what the Bible says. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Never seen before in the history of the world. In fact, I think all of history has been culminating in the church age so that when we step into this relationship with Christ, we become something, God's ultimate creation. The Bible says higher than the angels. So I don't feel higher than the angels. I feel under the circumstances. That's what I'm saying. We're not living it. We're not living where God intended us to be because he's given us these promises. He's changed us. He's made us a new creation. And I'm sure he looks at us in the spirit realm. We're not the same anymore. So when he looks across this place in the spirit realm, he sees those of us who have stepped into this relationship and those of us who haven't because we look like two different kinds of beings completely. One has God's used DNA into it and the other one doesn't. So here we are, this powerful spiritual being and then he's given us these promises so that through all of this we can just experience his power See, Christianity isn't just like principles to know. It's not like do's and don'ts. Christianity is the power to live. It's It's about power, the power to change, 
the power to be what God wants you to be. So when God sees us as believers and we're out here and we're going like, I'll never overcome this addiction. I just can't do it. He's going like, what do you mean? I mean, that's, you don't know who you are. You don't know what I created when you stepped into this. You've got to realize it's so important that we understand that, that we, that we know that, that we get that. The Christian faith is not merely a set of doctrines. It, it's, it's power to be experienced. So what do we need to do? I think very practically, day by day, we need to go to the Word of God and we need to get a promise for that day or two. And all day we need to hold those promises before us like a luscious carrot right before us to keep us moving in the right direction so that we keep stepping into all that God has for us. There's promises that, that he wants. And it says so that we can overcome the desires, the corrupt things. The word there is really lust or passion, the things that the world is always throwing at us. You see, sin makes its attack on us by holding out promises for our happiness doesn't it you know if I could just divorce that woman I would be happy if I could you know I'd be I'd be real happy if I could just have sex with them I would be so happy if if I could just tell my boss you know I mean I would just I would just like to scream at him I would be so happy if I could just do what I want to do and I had to, didn't have to listen to my parents. I'd be, I, I would be so happy. And it just goes on and on and on. Sin will always win the battle. Because it does promise momentary happiness. Now there's death in it. I remember talking to a lady a few years back. And she was in an affair. And I just told her. I, she said it just feels so like life right now. It's like life to me. And I, she was divorced. The guy she was with being with was a married guy but he was gonna divorce his wife you know and and uh, she said it just feels like I said there's death in it there's death in it and she said it doesn't feel that way to me it feels like I'm I'm headed toward life and I said that's what sin does the Bible's real clear it, it blinds you for the moment but there's always ultimately the wages of sin death and God wants us to move toward <clears throat> life and she never did, as far as I know. I don't know what's, where she is now, but she didn't break it off while we were counseling together. And, and, and I said, it's going to be, there's, death, there's always death in it somewhere. Death of a marriage. Your, your children experiencing like the death of hope or, or whatever it is. There, there's death in sin and it tries to lure you away. Think how easy it would have been for Daniel to think that God had let him down, to think that God was still back in Israel, to think that God had forgotten him. It would have been so easy. I mean, imagine yourself 15 years old, not that 15 years old are, are moody or anything, right? Or have teenage angst at all. But here you're 15 years old and all of a sudden a wicked kingdom comes in and pulls you out of your home, out of your family away from your homeland never gonna see it again you, you've lost your brothers and sisters your mom your dad you've lost 
you know, everything. You were just sitting there on the couch playing Nintendo, and all of a sudden, boom, you're pulled out to this foreign place. It would have been so easy to go, God, you have let me down. I'm just going with the flow here. That's what everybody else did. But I think Daniel had something different. He had God's promises. You say, well, what promises could he have? Remember, I told you the prophets were speaking there. And I think Daniel, as a young man, he had to have listened to the prophets to be where he was. And so let me just give you some from the prophets. Zephaniah. You probably <clears throat> have never even read the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. But it's, a, it's the writings of the prophet. What the prophet spoke in this time. And one of the things the prophet spoke was this. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's a promise. I think Daniel grabbed that one and held on to it. Ezekiel was another of the prophets. You might not have ever read from the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Listen to this. Ezekiel chapter 11. I will give them an undivided heart. And put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah, he was prophesying in Jerusalem at this time. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And remember, I told you that God spoke to Daniel and listen to some of the things from the book of Daniel. Daniel writes, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. When he says saints, he's saying the set apart ones. That's us. That's all of us. And then he says this, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to who? Us, the people of the Most High, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. He's seeing the future. He says this in chapter 9, the Lord is the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. And listen to this. This is an amazing one. I don't know what it means yet, but you see glimpses of it in the New Testament too. Daniel says at the end of time, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So God was showing even young Daniel some of these things and, and he's starting to stand on it and he's going like, you know, this temporary turmoil that I'm in, this, this push to conform. It's, I want to shine like a star forever. I, I, I want what God 
has for me here and now. And he says, I'll be your God and, and you'll be my people. One of the things I've I prayed for you this morning is that you would know how good God is. And if you're here and you're far from him, that you would quit fighting him. You would quit fighting him because you don't understand him and that you would hear his voice say, I'm your father, little girl. I just want to hold you tight. I'm your father, son. I've got you. I know where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. He's coming to grab hold of you if you just will open your arms to him. Doesn't matter if you're flat on your face, flat on your back, all in the mud. He's, he'll just take you in right then. And he's God. And that's what he wants to do. And Daniel saw this. So what happened as Daniel stood on these promises? God did something amazing. It says that God gave him favor in the sight of the old guard, the, the, the powerful overseer of all of these slaves who probably it was a hardened soldier. You think about it. Why would a 15-year-old kid, Jewish kid, a 15-year-old Jewish kid get favor? How, how would that happen? Why would he even care what this Jewish kid said? Why would he even give him five minutes of his time? Because God moved. That's the miracle. You see, we kind of read over it like, and God gave Daniel favor. Oh, that's neat. They became friends or something. No, God did a miracle. He gave Daniel favor, so much favor that the overseer finally says to the one that's right over Daniel, like, whatever you guys work out, don't talk to me about it, basically, probably. And the, Daniel goes, just give us 10 days, 10 days. And let's see what God, and then God did another miracle as they just ate vegetables and water. He, he, he blessed them physically so that they stood out among all. And then later on it says as they continued to walk that way, they became 10 times smarter, 10 times wiser, 10 times more discerning than all the rest of the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. You see God moving. But see, Daniel only had the promises. You've got so much more. If you've stepped into this relationship with Jesus, he's made you a whole new creation. He's saying, I've actually fused my DNA. You've got God-fused DNA in your spirit. You are reborn. You are a child of God. And then to make it official, he adopted you so that people wouldn't think that you're an illegitimate child. He adopted you into his family, he did all of that. And now he says, I've also given you 6,000 promises in my word. Reach out and grab one of those and fuse it with who you are and watch my power fall. Have you done it? Have you ever done that? Grab my promise and fuse it with who you are and watch my power fall. 